Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Well, hello and welcome back to the BAC Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino and I'm joined by Pastor Ryan, as always. And this week we are reading 1 Corinthians 9 through 13. And I don't know about you, Pastor Ryan, but these chapters are pretty packed full of interesting things. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, so let's let's jump right into it. One of the more <laughs> puzzling things, I guess you could say, is we come to chapter 11 and Paul starts talking about how men should pray with their heads uncovered and women should have their heads covered. Can you shed some light on this? I think from our modern perspective, this is just absolutely bewildering. So can you try to shed some light on this for us? (laughs) Uh, After people listen to this, they're going to know why you assigned this piece to me. (laughs) (laughs) You can have that one, Pastor Ryan. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. This can get a little bit like a PG-13 at times, so that just got some of the people listening interested. (laughs) But why don't we take a look at the issue of this head covering. Now, if there's been a passage that's pretty controversial, this passage is one of them. And uh, I'm sure our listeners are are thinking that um, some churches, they they still practice head covering to this day. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, we as a church, we don't, but why do we land that way? So let me just read a little bit of the scripture. It's 1 Corinthians 11, starting verse 5. But Paul writes this. He says, But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. Then he says this in verse 13, judge for yourself. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not now nature, and that's weird that he says this, does not nature itself teach that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. It makes us think too that men should have short hair. Mm Mm-hmm. Women should have long hair. Right. Now, just a couple of notes. We need to remember that the Scripture was written for us, but it was not written to us. Mm-hmm. So interpreting Scripture, it's important for us to understand the culture of the first century, right. to understand their minds, their mm-hmm. thinking, their worldview, their thoughts. Mm-hmm. And we need to remind ourselves the Bible was written in an ancient world which has very, very different customs, cultures, and even thinking. So... Uh, Think about this today. If you were a missionary, and depending on where you go, you understand that people are going to have different mindsets, different thoughts. Right. right. If you are going to communist China, you know that that's going to be very, very different than if you go to a tribe in mm-hmm. South America that has a witch doctor or maybe yeah. in Haiti where they're practicing voodoo. Mm-hmm. So Paul understands as a missionary, he's going into a lot of different cultural um, differences. Mm -hmm. And so we need to remember the setting. Paul is in Corinth. 
Now, Corinth is a Greek city. It's between Athens and Sparta. And I'll remind people, they can listen to previous podcasts. We talked about this. But at that time, the top Greek philosophers and medical experts had a very strange view on (laughs) procreation. And now, I'm going to say this out there. This is not science. Um, So we're not thinking this is like modern science, but this is what they thought. Now, they didn't have microscopes. They didn't have modern-day instruments. They didn't have the laboratories we had. So they saw things very differently. But when I'm talking top experts of their days, I'm talking like Aristotle, Mm -hmm. uh, Hippocrates. I mean, these are no-joke people. I mean, these are heavy hitters. All the big guns. These are the big guns. Um, Even today, we talk about taking the Hippocratic Oath. You know, doctors do that. So... um, this was the Greek view on sexuality. Now, I'm going to tell you, it is going to get a little weird. <laughs> it may not be appropriate for, you know, children. So if you're a parent, you might want to pause this first, yeah. listen to it, and then have maybe your child listen to it. If, but you know, we'll right. try to be tactful. Right. But this was their context they were dealing with. But this was their context. This was their Greek worldview. This is how they saw things. And uh, so they had a very strange view on how babies were made. Um now, what they did is they made observations, but their observations brought really a wrong conclusion. Mm-hmm. So what they began to observe is that during puberty, hair started to grow in different areas. Um, I mean, men start growing facial hairs, so hair starts to grow. And so they began to see there's got to be a connection between sexuality and hair. And so this is what the Greeks concluded. They thought that the semen was stored in the brain. You know why they thought it was in the brain? That's where the hair is. That's where the hair is. This is where most of the hair is. So what they thought is the seed or the semen was suctioned into hair. (laughs) And so the men need to have short hair because they did not want to retain the semen. On the other hand, so they didn't want to retain the uh, semen, and women, because it was like a, acted like as a suction, women were to have long hair because the longer your hair is, in a sense, the more suction power it has. Now, again, <laughs> now you understand why I get this one. Oh, my <laughs> You're <golly>. welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm going to stick you with the next one. <laughs> so anyways, so in the first century they saw the woman's hair as part of her sexuality, but also her genitalia. Right. And so because in that culture, and Paul is in Greek, and this is the mindset of the people, he's addressing it. Mm -hmm. And as a missionary, he understands their culture. Right. And so I know it's strange, and we're doing more the cliff notes on this. We can go in a whole lot more detail, but... In their culture, since they saw the woman's hair as part of her genitalia. Now, they didn't see it, it's the same as a man, mm-hmm. okay? They felt that he had other genitalia that they worried about and thought needed to be covered up. Right, right. But for the woman, because they saw it this way, if it's part of her genitalia and her sexuality, you know what Paul's saying? you got to cover it. Cover it up. Yeah. Cover it up. And so God wants them to dress in modesty. Mm-hmm. And in our culture, we don't see things the same way. I mean, we realize that women's hair has nothing to do with procreation. Right, right. But they saw it differently. 
And we know it doesn't have anything to do with production of babies. So we don't believe women need to have their heads covering. We don't believe that. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it doesn't deal with sexuality. Right. But they did. And so I do think, though, there's a principle that we can draw from it. And the principle is simply this. In our culture, just as the same as their culture, we need to dress appropriately. Mm -hmm. We need to cover ourselves appropriately. So I know what I did was just a very cliff note version. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can get extremely (laughs) detailed, which we wanted to (laughs) pass over (laughs) under thinking. But hopefully when we read this, at least it'll give us a little bit of a cliff note um, thinking of what they were thinking back then. And so just to summarize it, Paul was saying, hey, because you see it this way, if you're going to be going into the service and you're going to be praying and you're going to be prophesying, women, cover yourself appropriately. And men, Mm -hmm. you need to cover yourself appropriately too. Yeah, be modest. It all comes back to modesty. It all comes down to being modest. So the circumstances have changed, but the principle still applies. Exactly. This is why understanding cultural context is so important. It is. It is. Well, how do we top that topic? (laughs) (laughs) Well, one thing I, I did want to talk about a little bit here is Paul also talks about the, the Lord's Supper. He gets into it in, in chapter 10 and chapter 11 both. And one thing that's important to understand when you're when you're looking at this is really chapters 8 through 11 kind of form one unit. Mm-hmm. And something we have to get in our minds is that our chapters and verses were added much later. So we have to understand that when Paul was writing to the Corinthians, he didn't go, okay, dear Corinthians, chapter one. <laughs> he didn't He didn't write in chapters. Like our, our chapters were actually added about 1200 AD, so about 1200 years mm-hmm. after New Testament times. And the verses were in the 1500s. So they were much, much later, and they came around more for the purpose of like commentaries and, and Bible studies and those sorts yeah. of things. So it does make it convenient. Sure. The problem is sometimes it makes us think in these small pieces, Mm -hmm. whereas in reality, really chapters 8 through 11, like I said, are are kind of one unit. So to understand the context of what Paul's talking about with the Lord's Supper, we have to kind of go back to chapter 8. And, you know, Paul's talking about meat offered to, to idols, whether Christians can eat this meat or not. And the reason he's talking about this is because oftentimes the leftovers from the sacrifices in the temples would get sold in the marketplaces. Right, and they didn't eat a lot of meat back then, too. Right. But it seems in, in chapter 8, it seems like he's saying the meat is basically morally neutral, right? It's just, it's meat. So you, you can do what you want, do what your conscience allows. He says, don't cause other people to stumble, right. but there's no reason why you can't eat it. Mm-hmm. Then we come to chapter 10, though, and it seems like he's saying, don't partake in the meat offered to idols. So it, it almost seems like he's contradicting himself, but there, there's a difference. So in chapter 8, he's talking about just the meat being sold in the marketplace, right? He's saying, mm-hmm. just meat, no problem. But in chapter 10, he's talking about participating in the actual ceremony itself. Yes. So there's a distinction there. He's saying the ceremony isn't morally neutral. Mm-hmm. If you look at verse 20, he says that these pagan sacrifices are are offered to demons. Mm-hmm. So there's demonic forces behind these, these sacrifices, behind these idols. And when pagans sacrificed food to their gods, to their idols, or, or these demonic beings, they celebrated what they thought that sacrifice accomplished for them and the blessings that flowed from that sacrifice. So then Paul moves from talking about that into the Lord's Supper, because for Christians, the Lord's Supper is like our ceremony, in a sense. Mm-hmm. We come together to collectively celebrate 
what Jesus has accomplished for us. Mm-hmm. So what he's saying is participating in a pagan ceremony is not acceptable for, for Christians. It's, it's idolatry. We can't partake in communion and in a ceremony for idols. Mm-hmm. Just like we can't be unified with Christ and also be in union with a prostitute, right? We can't, we can't have that union. Now, when it comes to the meaning of the Lord's Supper, Paul is pretty clear on the, on the purpose of it. He says it in chapter 11, verse 26. He says, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Pretty straightforward. But over time, a lot of different traditions and, and denominations have tended to kind of add meaning yeah. to the Lord's Supper, and we can talk more about that. But what Paul's saying is we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And our vertical fellowship with Christ should produce horizontal fellowship mm-hmm. and unity with each other. Now, some traditions have claimed that the bread and wine become the actual body and blood of Christ, and oftentimes they'll reference John 6 when they're talking about this, where Jesus talks about eating his flesh and, and drinking his blood. But the important thing to keep in mind, first of all, is that John 6 has, has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper in context. And this idea of the bread and the wine becoming the actual flesh and the blood of Christ, it's not in the text here at all. He says we're proclaiming the Lord's death. It's a time of remembrance. It's clearly symbolic. Mm -hmm. That's how Paul's viewing it. Now, some traditions also say that Jesus is, in essence, being sacrificed again because the elements become the actual body and blood of Christ. He's almost being sacrificed again, and, and grace is poured out on us when we partake. But Hebrews, if we look at Hebrews 7, it's very clear Jesus' sacrifice was once for all. It was sufficient. He doesn't need to be sacrificed again and again. It was was one time for for all of time. So we are very simply, when we take communion, we're proclaiming and remembering the Lord's death until he comes. Mm -hmm. It's really pretty straightforward. But like I said, sometimes we've tended to add meaning to it over time. Now, one other thing to note is Paul, he mentions... Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner. Now, this one can also trip people up. What's he talking about here? Well, it appears that some of the Corinthians they were they were being a little bit disorderly in the way they were <laughs> in the way they were doing the Lord's Supper. Now, we have to remember that when they took the Lord's Supper, they actually had it as part of an entire meal. Yeah. So a little bit different than how we do it. But some people were were eating on their own before everybody got their food. Some people were getting drunk. Some people weren't. Can you imagine (laughs) coming in the church? That'd be a little different. Yeah. Yeah. And some people weren't getting any food at all, while other people were stuffed. So when he says doing things in an unworthy manner, he's talking about doing things in a in a divisive nature or a a humiliating, alienating way, in a way that neglects people in some way. So again, the context has changed a little bit, but the principle mm-hmm. still, apply, still applies. So we do things differently now. We don't eat an entire meal, but we have to ask ourselves, you know, are we doing this in a way that alienates people or causes division in any way? So in context, mm-hmm. that's really what he's talking about when he says in an unworthy manner. Uh, one last note as well. So when Paul starts this discussion in chapter 11 about the Lord's Supper, he says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Remember, Jesus appeared to Paul directly. So Paul got this directly from hmm. Jesus. You might wonder, you know, how does how does Paul know this? Paul wasn't one of the original disciples, mm-hmm. so he wasn't part of the Last Supper, for example. 
but Jesus appeared to Paul, and it seems that Jesus passed this directly on, on to Paul. So any thoughts that you have, Pastor Ryan, about the Lord's Supper? Well, the only thing I was thinking about is just keep it simple. Yeah, exactly. And it's true. We keep adding and adding things, but really it's, it's simple, and it's a, a fellowship type of um, supper. And I think that's where it helps to also understand the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, you know, the priests, what they would do is when they would get a sac- when there were sacrifices take place, the priests were able to have some of the pieces of the sacrifice, and mm-hmm. that's where they would have a meal from. Mm-hmm. And so you see that same type of principle with the Lord's Supper, where Jesus um, was the sacrifice, right. but we get to um, have fellowship with mm-hmm. him and others through communion. Yeah, keep it simple. We do tend to overcomplicate things, don't we? We do, yeah. <laughs> well, any last thoughts, Pastor Ryan, on, on these chapters? The only thing that came to my mind is the sacrificing of the meat. Mm-hmm. And this is what we sometimes call a gray area, Yeah, where you could imagine if you came out of temple worship and you would say, man, I don't think we should be eating that meat. We need to totally abstain. Mm-hmm. Then you see someone else eating the meat and you're like, what's wrong with them? Right. And so I feel like sometimes in our life by application, there are areas that are gray areas where people will have convictions about. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they'll come through their past. Um, and so I think the main thing here is that we don't control other people. Because mm. I've heard people say, well, if you do that, that offends me. And if that offends me, you shouldn't do that. That's a control factor. Mm-hmm. The truth is we need to be sensitive to other people. Right. And I, I like the idea that Paul's pretty much saying, if you eat, it's not a problem. Eat. But you know something? Don't then cause someone who's abstaining to follow your path and have a weak conscience and then fail and fall. Mm-hmm. And he also looked and he said, if you're an abstainer, don't become haughty and look down on someone who eats. Right. So it all, in a sense, has to do with relationship and love and unity among each other. Yeah, and this is why he says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Right. right? That's that's the context of, of that statement. He's saying whatever it is, whether it's eating, drinking, we should always be thinking about other people and, and the effect it could have on the kingdom as well. Correct. Because w- whenever Paul was doing something, he was always thinking about his witness. Is this going to affect my gospel witness? Absolutely. And so that's the kind of mindset that we need to have as well. Yes. Well, I know there are a lot of things we didn't get into in these chapters. He gets into uh, spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues. And I think some of those things we can maybe cover in, in the next episode. If you want to add more to the head covering, you can go right <laughs> oh, ahead. <laughs> I, think, I, think we're, I think we've covered that one. See what I did there? <laughs> But there are a lot of other things we can maybe hit a little bit in the next episode. But for now, that will be all. Remember to keep listening and remember why we're doing this. We want to help you get into the Word until it gets into you. And we want to equip you so that you can go out and you can be a world changer.